Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on the program, Patrick Smith, author of the great Florida novel, A Land Remembered. I wasn't really sure what I was creating, because it was such a monstrous job. It took me two years of research and another year of writing that novel. I hoped it would be good, but I really didn't know. A look at Florida's role in the Cuban Missile Crisis. There were nothing but a whole city of tents with red crosses on them for wounded. From Cuba, we expected an invasion. We expected casualties. We'll remember controversial Florida folk singer Bobby Hicks. All that and more coming up on Florida Frontiers. Better country music than you hear in the bars Beat up boots on a Friday night Pants blazing up, standing in the firelight Cooling on down, we jump in Lake Hancock, let the party begin Tailgate drop down, music playing loud Everybody stands to the country sound Four-wheel drive and ATVs Mama calls the crazy like a guy to the sea Caretaking knows we ain't doing no harm Florida track country boys is all we are After church a fresh load of bait All of us guys headed out to the lake If the fish ain't biting, call the girls in Jump in the water, you know it never ends No time to be home, we'll stay out late Finish the night, the southern way, yeah Tailgate drop down, music very loud Everybody's dancing to the country sound Four-wheel drive and ATVs Mama calls us crazy like we got a disease Here, take a we ain't doing no harm That's Patrick Gibson from Apopka singing about contemporary Florida crackers. The term Florida cracker refers to pioneer settlers of the state from the 1700s and 1800s and their modern-day descendants. Patrick Gibson was two years old when Pineapple Press first published the Patrick Smith novel A Land Remembered in 1984. A Land Remembered tells the story of the fictional Florida pioneer family, the McGiveys, from the mid-1800s through the mid-20th century. If you ask just about anyone who knows anything about Florida history and culture to choose one book that is a must-read about Florida, the almost unanimous choice is Patrick Smith's A Land Remembered. Patrick Smith says that he wanted to explore issues that Floridians have had to deal with over the past few hundred years by bringing a pioneer family to life for modern readers. It was to explore a lot of issues about Florida, and too, I wanted to make that family real. 
just show the reader what they went through. You know, not just tell them it was a great freeze in 1895, but how did this affect that family? And how were they affected by the coming of the railroads, the birth of the cattle industry, and the Civil War? And then later on, how were they affected by that great land boom down in Miami in the 1920s? And that hurricane that hit Lake Okeechobee in 1928 and killed over 2,000 people. These are all things that really happened in Florida, but the important thing to me was to show how they affected people. In Patrick Smith's A Land Remembered, the McGivey family faces one adversity after another, trying to create a ranch and orange grove in the rough Florida wilderness. After three generations of respecting the land and its native inhabitants, the last generation of McGiveys makes a fortune by developing Florida land with no regard for the environmental impact. Smith says that the McGiveys are not based on any one Florida family. The composites of a lot of different families. I met a lot of families when I was traveling around in Florida doing research that resemble the McIvey family. They came here back in the 19th century. They lived that kind of life. But I've had at least a dozen families in this state swear to me that that book is about their family, you know. They identify with it. A Land Remembered has not been used without controversy in Florida schools. A student-friendly version was created for younger readers, eliminating curse words and the racially insensitive N-word from the text. The book has accumulated many accolades, and Patrick Smith has been placed in the Florida Artists' Hall of Fame. Some of the letters, you know, that I get about this novel are really, really touching, heartbreaking. I got a letter one time that a man, when he was dying of cancer, her father, all he wanted to hear before he died was his favorite passage out of a land remembered. And she read it to him, and he died while she was reading that. I got an email yesterday from a young man in Iraq. He said that he took his book over with him when he went over there. He's in the Army. He said he's read it seven times since he's been in Iraq. He said it's now kind of worn out by wind and sand of the desert, but he's ordered another one so he can keep reading. I've got just literally hundreds of letters from young kids in this state who've read that, you know, in the third through the eighth grade. And they all say that before they read it, they had no interest in Florida history. They knew nothing about this state. And now they're very eager to learn all they can about Florida. It's gratifying. People have been writing about Florida since the first non-indigenous people started coming here in the 1500s. Over the past 200 years, renowned novelists with work set in Florida range from James Fenimore Cooper and William Gilmore Sims to Marjorie Kinnan Rawlings and Zora Neale Hurston. But arguably, no Florida novel is more revered and loved than Patrick Smith's A Land Remembered. Morris O'Sullivan is the Kenneth Curry Professor of Literature at Rollins College. He is co-editor of The Florida Reader and Florida Poetry, A History of the Imagination, and author of other books about Florida literature. Patrick Smith's book really does stand alone. I actually first heard about it from Sloan Wilson, who became a cult figure for his novel, The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit, which was turned into a very popular film with Gregory Peck. And Sloan moved to Central Florida in the late 1970s. Since he was here, we asked him to teach a creative writing course. I got to know him fairly well. 
one day he confided to me that his real reason for moving to Florida was that he wanted to write the great Florida book. He wanted to do for Florida what James Michener had done for Hawaii and Texas. A couple of years later, Sloan told me he was leaving. He was going back north. And I asked him why and reminded him about the Florida book. He asked me if I had read A Land Remembered by Patrick Smith. I said no. And he said, the epic Florida novel has been written. Many people share Sloan Wilson's assessment, declaring the epic tale of the McGivey family to be the best Florida novel yet written. Morris O'Sullivan. There have been a couple of other attempts to do a saga like A Land Remembered, but there's nothing that matches it in terms of its scope, its readability, its continuing fascination for generations of students and adults. And I think that's because it has a little bit of everything. It has cowboys and Indians. It has settlements and businessmen. It has romance and gunfights and knife fights. It has adventure and mystery. There isn't anything that it doesn't have. And it appeals to people because of the multi-generational aspect of it, so that it's able to provide a continuing history of Florida as the McIvies move further and further south, just as all of us moved further and further south in Florida. A Land Remembered has become so popular that it has overshadowed some of Patrick Smith's other books about Florida, such as Forever Island, The River is Home, and Angel City, which was made into a film for television by CBS. Smith says that A Land Remembered may also be adapted for film. A Land Remembered is under option right now to a film company, but that doesn't mean absolutely they're going to film it. That's an option. But this company, just as soon as they got the option... They uh, had a screenwriter working on a, a, a script, so it looks promising. Patrick Smith is proud that A Land Remembered remains such a popular book because he believes that people today need to be aware of Florida history. They just should know what this state once was, how it's evolved and how different it was. My first contact with Florida was in 1935. I was an eight-year-old kid and I came down here and spent three weeks with my family on a vacation. And I still have memories of what this state was like that long ago. Because I was married in 1948 in the land, my wife's the land, and it was so different then. But a lot of people, you know, that come to Florida today, move here or visit, they believe that this state has always been the home of all this magic kingdom. They just have no idea, you know. The whole thing started right here when Ponce de Leon landed here. It didn't start out in California or Arizona and Texas. It all started right here. Having documented so much Florida history, Pat Smith has tried to follow in the footsteps of the man credited with discovering Florida, Juan Ponce de Leon. Born in 1927, Smith says that he has paid attention to the traditional story that Ponce came to Florida to find the Fountain of Youth. It was rumored, too, that he found it, the Leon Springs, which is just above the land. It was said back in the 40s and back then, if you go out to the Leon Springs and dip yourself in that water, you know, you'd stay young forever. 
if you were old, you'd rejuvenate yourself. My wife and I used to go out there all the time. She <laughs> said, we all spray and dip ourselves in that water. It didn't work. <laughs> Patrick Smith's A Land Remembered is published by Pineapple Press. Here, chicken, no, we ain't doing no harm. Florida cracker, country boys, is all we are. There's a four-wheel drive rolling through the grove. That's the lawman coming down the road. He got out, just my luck. Hands me a rope and says, don't get stuck. Tailgate drop down, music very loud. Everybody's dancing to the country sound. Four-wheel drive and ATVs. Mama calls us crazy like we got a disease. Care chicken knows we ain't doing no harm. Florida cracker country boys is all we are. Florida cracker country boys, that's all we are. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Brokemarkle. Today, the Western world is concerned about the proliferation of nuclear weapons in Iran and North Korea. In October of 1962, the world was on the brink of nuclear war with the United States and the former Soviet Union. As Janie Gould from WQCS Fort Pierce explains, the flashpoint for this nuclear crisis was just off the shore of South Florida. The Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962 brought the world to the brink of nuclear annihilation regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. President Kennedy of the United States has announced that he had given orders to the American military. Fort Pierce City Commissioner Duke Nelson was an Army officer at the time. He was stationed at the Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama, when he got orders to take on a new mission in Washington. He thought he was going to be going to Washington, D.C. I went in the next morning for a briefing, and they said, we're going to Washington State. And the mission was to uh, check the equipment they got out there and go to the, the depot and get those squared away and put that stuff on a train and have it shipped down to these various key places in Florida. Well, I did that. 
Lo and behold, I ended up being in charge of the missile efforts for Homestead, Key West, MacDill, and Cape Kennedy. My scary part about that, as we put the equipment on the train, and of course I caught a plane and came back here to Florida. Naturally, the plane beat the train here. So I was here with virtually nothing to do except walk around and act like a tourist. While he was playing tourist in South Florida, he saw a sure sign that something big might be in the works. It was in the Fort Lauderdale area. There he saw makeshift hospitals that obviously had been put up in a hurry. Tents with red crosses on them, and there was a pot full of them. Ooh, there were nothing but a whole city of tents with red crosses on them for wounded. From Cuba, we expected an invasion. We expected casualties. And I realized this was serious. And then I sat in my car to hear President Kennedy come on the radio and speak and tell us what was going on. And I really got scared. Nuclear weapons are so destructive. And ballistic missiles are so I had not been in combat. I've been in the military then, about five years at the most. Here I am now faced with a possible invasion going into Cuba or them coming over us or them bombing us or us bombing them. And I might end up out there with all these tents at the hospital city. I was scared. I'll be honest with you. I was really scared. Well, the crisis passed, of course, after about a week. I guess you were relieved. Yeah, I was more relieved than you can imagine. For Nelson, one of the most memorable parts of the whole episode took place when he and three white colleagues tried to get rooms in a motel. I remember during this time we were steep in segregation. I had a team of both military and civilian people working for me. And I recall uh, going down to Homestead to get a motel. I was sitting in the right rear of the car, and the driver, he's a white guy, and the ward officer was in the car and somebody else. The clerk or somebody came out and said, what do you want? May I help you? We said we wanted rooms. They said, y'all can get some, but he pointed to me. I couldn't get in the room there. He got to go elsewhere. And, of course, that infuriated my team and myself as well. I guess that's when I learned to be cool, so to speak. But Nelson posed a question to the desk clerk. Do you realize who I am and what we're here for and all this? He didn't have to stop Castro and all that kind of stuff. I said, well, you know, if we're not successful in what we do and he comes over here with your principles, what you're talking about, the rules that your management is trying to perpetuate here, it's just going to be a, something you're going to forget about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, they wanted to go away, and I said, no, 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 I was the man in charge. So you go out here and get a room, and y'all sleep and get rested up and everything. I drove back to the Air Force Base there. I was supposed to have lived in what you call officer's quarters, but naturally they were all filled up. So I ended up sleeping in the car. I reported this incident uh, sometimes later. After it was all over, about a month, month and two and so, I went back to that same motel and was allowed to go in there, but no problem at all. So I learned from that experience, be cool, be calm, follow procedures. But most of all, I was inculcated with the idea that as a military person, your first primary job is to accomplish the mission. Do what you set out to do. You write your reports, you take action to correct the problems that you encountered so you don't have repeat. And that's what we did, and I think it worked out fine. Duke Nelson retired from the Army as a lieutenant colonel in 1979. He's been serving on the Fort Pierce City Commission for the past 12 years. Janie Gould from WQCS in Fort Pierce prepared that report.
You're listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Florida singer-songwriter Bobby Hicks, who died in 2007, was what some would call a diamond in the rough. While outspoken often to the point of being abrasive, even belligerent, he was a passionate defender of Florida's environment, its traditions, its history, and its working people. Bill Dudley has this portrait of the man and his songs. It was down near Coolista, John Carver was born. By the age of 13, he's worked in the cane. When he died in December 2007, Bobby Hicks left behind only one album, Florida and the Need to Say More, recorded in the late 80s. But for many who remember his appearances at the Florida Folk Festival and other venues around the state, the songs were often overshadowed by the politics and a running commentary on the state of the state. And you see those big shrimp in there? There were farm rays in Ecuador and Thailand. Yeah, you remember my friends over here on the coast that are losing their houses and everything because they can't get a dollar seventy a pound for their shrimp at Dockside. I'm not talking about any corporation people. I'm talking about just some good people been shrimping for about four generations in the state. I didn't really like him when I first met him, as most people don't. I could tell you all kinds of stories about the first meeting of Bobby Hicks with somebody. A close friend, freelance writer, and musician, Pete Gallagher. He and Hicks co-hosted the Florida Folk Show on community radio WMNF in Tampa, beginning in 2004. It's just because he, he was so abrasive, and, uh, and also he was always so uh, brutally honest. And to be confronted with a brutally honest person makes people uncomfortable. But then, then again, that's what endeared me to him. He had a persona, and that's true. But I don't mean that he was false or fake in any way. St. Leo University philosophy professor and longtime Florida folk performer Ernie Williams. I believe that he genuinely loved this land, and he was willing to be abrasive, to be opinionated, and to take the heat for, and by this land, of course, I mean the land of flowers. Well, they cut down the trees and the mangrove keys And they killed off the coral and the old manatees And they put parking lots where the beach used to be And it's damn sure killing me We have a number of people who have access to grind in their songs. They're very topical songwriters, which of course has been true in American folk music since the time of Woody Guthrie, and I'm sure before that. The role of the troubadour as it has evolved from the bringer of the news to the bringer of the opinion interpreter, the person who takes the place of old broadsides, where somebody has something to say and they just say it right out. And their purpose is to convince and to sway. And that certainly was Bobby's purpose. What have we left for the ones that we're leaving? Perhaps some old memories they won't be believing. So maybe some snapshots that'll start them into grieving. Oh, the swanee that flows deep in our heart. If it can put into people's minds what could happen or what is happening in a three or four verse song, an issue that is volumes and volumes long, I mean, you've, you've done a great thing because the American public, the citizens, the man on the street, they don't have time to read all the volumes. If you're a sincere songwriter and you're, you're writing about, about these issues, it can be very powerful. Bobby Hicks, especially over the years, has attracted a legion of people into, into environmental protection and, and cultural preservation. I guess I'm a little bit of everything. Seen so many flags unfurled. Bobby Hicks was a native who claimed his ancestors had been here since 1791. 
He was fond of saying that things never got so bad he had to leave his home. In recent years, newspaper writers characterized him as the radical cracker or the hot-tempered troubadour, but his ranting and raving couldn't obscure the beauty of his lyrics and melodies. Even before his death at age 54, people have suggested his signature song, I'm Florida, be adopted as the new state song, although Hicks himself was opposed to the idea. I'm the ghost of a Spaniard at the fountain of you, an old Augustine by the sea. Down around Brighton, I'm a Seminole Indian who somehow through it all still walks free. Bobby pulled no punches, and many of us thought that Bobby's opinions were right on, that he was willing to stand up for Florida because he was, he was truly in love with Florida. You run into a guy like Bobby Hicks who's, when you hear his music, that's Florida folk music. That's Florida folk music. There's no denying it. Waters once clear as a swimming pool Though fewer than there used to be Though it'll never be like yesterday I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council. Visit us on the web at flahum.org. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Check us out on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Brookmarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated.